0: Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Mission Daily. Everyone knows the best way to get an opportunity is through referrals. Companies tend to trust the employees who recommended you, thus, giving you a better opportunity to secure employment. Today's show features Miles Everson, the CEO of MBO Partners, a platform that is geared towards matching professionals with enterprises. And on this episode, Miles depicts what makes MBO different. Why the future of work is not full time employment, and why niche expertise is what is driving the workforce forward.
1: Welcome to Mission Daily. Today we have Miles Everson, CEO, MBO Partners. Miles, how are you doing today? Fantastic. Looking forward to the discussion. Awesome. And before we get started, we always ask our guests to do the same thing, which is
0: what exactly is MBO Partners? So MBO Partners is a platform business that's really geared towards matching independent professionals with enterprises that are looking for top talent to do services for them. And we've been in business for about 25 years and have some of the you know, best brands out there in terms of both the individual talent as well as the enterprises that we serve. Thanks for that. Now, one of the things
1: that we always want to ask people to clarify, because as you can imagine, people, um, you know, a lot of buzzwords get used, but we, it's never always a clear picture. So tell me about this marketplace. So you have a platform business. You mentioned it's like a services marketplace, it's ma- matching people together. How does it work? How does like, someone who's never seen this platform um, kind of vi- start to visualize what MBO, how it exactly works?
0: Yeah. So let me uh, paint a picture, if I may, of what it's like for an individual and then what it's like for a company. Right? So if you're, if you're an individual and you've decided that you want to take control of the way you work and when you work and be able to maximize your own benefits, you, you come to MBO, you enroll in the broad MBO marketplace. You put up your profile of your skills and capabilities and. Then you, So you're in the marketplace as a provider of services. Now, if you're an enterprise, these big enterprises have many different sources of talent. And what they look for is talent that can ha- you know both either supplement or be strategic. And we can come back to the strategic piece if we'd like. Um, but supplement their full-time workforce and help them with projects and initiatives that they need to get done. So the enterprise comes and they enroll and we enter into a master service agreement with them. Now, that master service agreement gives the enterprise three things. It gives them their own marketplace that's riding on the MBO platform where they house the talent that they want to know and that work for them. It also allows them to make sure that there's compliant enrollment of their people on projects because one of the challenges with working a very diverse independent workforce is making sure that you got them enrolled in a compliant way with federal and state tax laws, et cetera. And then finally, you have to be able to capture the time and manage and pay this diverse workforce? Well, we do all of that for the enterprise. So we simplify for the enterprise, we give them access to great talent. And for the talent, we give them access to more jobs that they otherwise wouldn't be able to get to. And we match the two in between. And, you know, we really focus on the talent that's high impact talent, uh, that's doing work that, you know, it's really their career. It's not a side hobby forum. These people are dedicated to being independents.
1: Yeah. So this is interesting because it sounds similar, but not, obviously it's not quite the same thing. Uh, in the past, we've interviewed, uh, for example, Chris Hyams, who's now the CEO of Indeed on the show. Uh, his episode hasn't released yet, but it kind of is a similar concept in regards to like the platform, uh, in regards to like how MBO vets and I guess qualifies the talent, how do you guys go about that process? Because it sounds like you're talking about companies that are looking for very specified skill sets. So I'm assuming they expect all the candidates to be meeting those matches.
0: Yeah. So it's really interesting that you bring up Indeed, because Indeed is focused mostly on filling requisitions for people. Mostly, uh, they're really focused on full-time folks. Mm-hmm. And so it's very similar to a job board that's doing vetting of talent, which they obviously play an important role, but we're really after a different population of people. We're looking for people who've chosen to be independent professionals, build their own businesses. And so what we do then is we help the company curate a pool of, their, of people that are known to them. So they actually know the talent because we know, everybody knows that the best people you get are people that you know are referred to you. Mm-hmm. So our model is to work on the referral model and make it create a relationship um, that builds and strengthens between the independent and the enterprise, even though the independent continues to be independent. So where some companies will go out and do they'll try to do technical tests to vet talent. What we found and what our clients have found, and what they like about what we do is that we help them attract and house, if you will, that known talent to them so that they can they can redeploy people that are known to their enterprise.
1: Now, that's fascinating. So from your perspective, here's what here's what I wanna know. Um, you have, I believe, a unique perspective on this. Why is it that companies are looking so much for this independent talent uh, versus maybe, like you, you mentioned before, like full-time requisitions or getting people on staff? Like, what is it unique about, I guess, the needs of the marketplace that makes, a, like this market exist for independent business operators?
0: So, let's get right at the heart of the matter for a minute, okay? Ask any CEO what her or his most important asset is, and they'll say it's their talent. Yet, there's 43 million Americans that have chosen to be independent professionals. So, they're working as independents. They're not full-time people. By definition, if you don't have a strategy to drive a workforce deployment strategy that includes those 43 million people, those 43 million independents... There's no way you're accessing the best talent on the planet. All you're accessing is the people that have chosen to be full-time employees. And our view is, well, full-time employees are really important to an enterprise. After a while, that workforce starts to become homogeneous and it's a fixed or captive workforce. What we bring is a much, much more heterogeneous workforce and they're not captive. The way the world is going is that the best talent, the people who are at the best at the top of their field are going to get to choose which companies they work for. And so for the enterprise, you have to become a very desirable enterprise to work with. And if you want to have access to the best talent, you're going to embark on a real formidable strategy to access the independent professional. That's why they're doing it.
1: That's definitely a different perspective. I mean, I never really thought about that, right? If you're an independent, if you're an independent contractor, independent business operator, I guess. I mean, it makes total sense. It's because I'm so good at my discipline, let's say, that I can actually vet multiple contracts for my time versus working completely for just one company. I never even put it. I never really framed it of what I was thinking.
0: If you think about the point I'm making about diverse and heterogeneous workforce, companies articulate that they want to hire a diverse workforce. They want to have a diverse workforce and they want to celebrate diversity and inclusion. But at the same time, as soon as they get people in their organization, they start to standardize how they do things, how they think, et cetera. And they try to drive them to be more homogeneous. There's an intellectual conflict in that strategy. And so the companies that embrace diversity, truly embrace diversity, source talent from all possible talent sources, including independents, are the ones that are going to bring the greatest diversity of thought and therefore, the greatest probability of driving value for themselves and for their customers. And that's what we're going after for the enterprise. For the independent, we want to improve their well-being. We, our platform helps people live the life they want to live. And they do that by taking control of their own destiny.
1: No, nah, I love it. And at previously, from my notes, previously at is where you came from, you built something similar. Is that right? The talent exchange, it's, la- it's largely regarded as one of the more successful examples of direct sourcing. Did that play a part in you coming over to MBO or uh, what, what's unique or what's different between the talent exchange and what you're currently doing?
0: Yeah. So, so let's just back up for a minute, right? So, because you mentioned my firm that, you know, I spent decades as a partner in this prestigious firm. And frankly, it's a prestigious firm for a lot of reasons, but certainly one of attracting and developing people. It's viewed as one of the best firms on the planet in that regard. Right. And it's got a great heritage. It's a hundred years old heritage of doing that. But when I was there, I sat back and basically said, are we, am I being, you know, Fair to myself and to my fellow colleagues when I say that we're accessing the best talent, but I'm ignoring this group of people that are called independent professionals. And the short answer is I needed to include them. It added flexibility to my workforce and it added this greater diversity. Frankly, what the model adds is the ability for people who have stepped out of the professional career path for some reason to come back in. So it's an onboarding ramp back in because you know people have life and part of life is their work you, you shouldn't let work or your job be just the primary driver of everything in your life and so talent exchange was a step in that direction which i sponsored when i was at pwc and it is a tremendous success for the firm and then what i'm doing at mbo is to really help do that for even more people i mean my my true intention would be to be able to improve the well-being of millions of people in the, this new independent economy that we have um, versus, you know, coming out of the industrial era, there was a lot more long-term relationship between companies and employees, but that has changed for reasons that are much bigger than any one company. No, that's, that's
1: awesome. Do you, anecdotally, do you have any stories of, you know, for example, a success that you got from an independent professional that you may not have gotten that same result at at your company?
0: Well, yeah. So, I mean, I'll give you an example you know, there's a number of ways I could go with this, but one is, I'll leave his last name out, but one of our independent professionals' name is Glenn. And so Glenn worked at the Nature Conservancy as a executive. He, similar to me, had 30 years of experience and he had subject matter expertise in sustainability and the re- relating that to business. He sought us out and he came to us and said that he was thinking of making the jump from being an employee to being an independent and having, again, much more control and influence over who he worked for, when he worked, how he worked. And he, like, you got to get after people's passions. And that's what he wanted is he wanted to work on projects that he loved. He didn't like the bureaucracy that comes with operating inside a big company. And so he tied this to his personal mission so that, you know, he could drive better sustainability into businesses. And so he has done just a, a fantastic job in terms of being able to serve the clients, he has multiple clients, he's busy, he's busy, as busy as he wants to be, but what's important is he's busy on the stuff that he's choosing to do. And when you think of so what's that relationship look like between him and MBO is all of the bureaucracy and administration that he didn't like in a big company is gone. And then when you have a little company, you get other types of administration, like you got to do tax filings, you got to set up legal entities, et cetera. MBO took care of all that for him. And we continue to take care of it for him today, all his billings, et cetera. So MBO started as a company called My Business Office, and it got started to help people who wanted to be in business without having to deal with the bureaucracy. And now we're doing that at scale. And at the same time, we're serving the needs of enterprises who need access to this top talent because more and more of the top talent are choosing to be independents. Let's go from the enterprise side because, you know,
1: marketplaces always have two fundamental problems, right? They need supply in both sides. They need customers or in your case, independent professionals, uh, and they need the people that want the services, in your case, the enterprises. When your team talks to an enterprise who maybe has never worked with an independent professional before what are they scared of? Like, Because to, to me, when I hear, you know, I never thought about it this way, like going after talent, that's just independent professionals. A lot of times people think about just going out and vetting subcontractors for themselves, whether it's like vendor agreements. So they're doing all the, they're personally taking on all the vetting, right? To build this marketplace to me seems like a thing I would want to try if I was a business operator, but I'm curious, what do your people that you're talking to that have never used MBA before, maybe never used independent, well, I doubt they've never used independent professionals. Probably at some level has, but what are they, I guess, what are they scared of? What's, what stops them from doing this? It seems like a, it's a no brainer, but I don't know.
0: Yeah. So there's, when you're thinking, if, if you're looking at it from the lens of the enterprise, usually what they're, what they're wondering about is, well, is the person going to be available? How do I know that they're going to be compliant with all the tax laws? And how do I know that the person, um, it's going to have some degree of commitment, loyalty to me. You know, can I trust the person? You know, I'm putting trust in quotes with my fingers as I say that, right? Right. And so they want to know that there's been some basis to conclude that the person is a good person. And if you go back to what I said a few minutes ago, we're talking about helping companies curate a pool of known independent talent. So you, if you go to a big enterprise today and you go into one office on the south side of the building and another office on the north side of the building, the person on the south side who's using independent talent most likely doesn't share that they have that great independent talent with the person on the north side. <laughs> they literally can sit down the hall from one another. What MBO's platform does is it enables them to be able to create transparency around who the independents are that others in the company have used, have reengaged, that they like. They can rate them so that you can see that this person is highly rated or not. And that just enables, you know, success breeds success. And so when they see successful independents helping other executives get their projects accomplished, then it becomes a successful, just adds on to itself. And so the enterprises, you know, they have their concerns, but more often than not, what, when they sit back and they kind of think about it and they say, oh, I get it. You're not just talking about throwing somebody over the wall to me that I've never known. We're talking about building and curating a pool of known talent. They're either known or they've been referred. So they're quasi-known, right? But once they've deployed on one project, I know them. And now they're in my marketplace for ABC Company. And that's a fantastic result for the company.
1: So where do you see most of, I guess, your challenges? Is it getting independent professionals to apply for the platform? Or is it getting enough, I guess, enterprises that want independent professionals?
0: So I could say it depends, which is always a great answer, right?
1: (laughs) It's always the fun answer. Yeah. Right.
0: So for hot skills, obviously enterprises are demanding more than there is supply, but that's not unique to independent contractors or to MBO. So the hot skills, obviously there's more demand than supply. Um, Where there's an excess supply Tends to be in more kind of niche expertise areas because the demand is more volatile by companies, right? Gotcha. And so then there's a whole kind of slew. I kind of gave you two end posts and in the middle, there's a whole bunch of skills and capabilities like implementation of, you know, common SaaS platforms, transformational skills, project managers, creative design engineers to support, you know, utility companies. Those, we got a good, those are great matching, is what I would say. We've got a really good balance between the supply and demand side of the equation. Um, And so, you know, it's, it depends on which piece of the market overall that you're talking about.
1: We always think about it at our company and talking to some of our guests based on the skills and based on what's available, what's the workforce going to look like maybe in the next five years. And so from your perspective, you're seeing like, for example, there's an oversupply of niche skills, but still they're wanted. There's like fundamental skills that everyone wants. And then there's also like just the hot skills that you just can't get enough workers. I'm assuming like, uh, you know, specific languages, developers, like it's really, really tough to hire these people based on what you're seeing. Do you think in your opinion, what do you, what do you think is going to be unique or different about the economy in let's say five years?
0: Yeah. So, um, You gave the time horizon of five years, which is time horizons important when you're talking about what's the global workforce look like. Right. So in five years, we will will continue to see a movement towards people needing deeper skills. So people that have skills that have some depth to them. So use the old metaphor of, you know, you can be a mile wide and an inch deep, i.e. a generalist, or you can be an inch wide and a mile deep right? More and more people are going to want niche expertises. Now it is possible for a human to possess more than one expertise, right? And so, but you do have to focus on a few areas. So what I think you'll see is the people back to the, cause you know, again, I want to reiterate that we're, we're really a talent first organization and people that really love what they do get better at it. And so that's, and that's what they want to do. So this is the inch wide, mile deep mentality. Like they're really good at something. hmm Companies can't afford to go a mile deep, an inch wide in every area. So they need to have access to this expertise. And so the deep skills with narrower bandwidth is what I expect is going to happen over the next five years. And then obviously, there's been a big push on this. You know, we're moving towards more and more focus on skills and capabilities than on generalist degrees. And so um, we expect that that's going to continue to drive the growth of the independent economy as well.
1: No, I'm with you. Like if we take a look at some of the big marketplaces that have transformed the way we operate, right? Well, we'll use Airbnb as an example. You know how many people before Airbnb actually thought that they could operate a mini bed and breakfast? It wasn't probably wasn't that many, right? Now 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 we have millions of people that are like, I can rent out a room, I can rent out my second home, I can rent out something on a short-term basis because there's now this marketplace that easily fulfills that. So there's more operators in that sense than ever. So if you're telling me there's 43 million independent professionals today, then if platforms like yours take off, then I'm going to believe that there's going to be more than 43 million professionals in the future, right? It just seems like that's how it's going to be. Because if I'm, like you said, if I'm super skilled, let's say at, like, uh, you know, let's say Salesforce customization for sales, you know, SFDC. Well, I know every company wants that, right? They need it at some level, maybe in short bursts. If I'm really good at that, why, why would I just be a Salesforce administrator at a company? I could just take on all these different jobs. It sounds like. In my mind, this is unique because I've not, not really
0: thought of it in this way. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so there's no, I agree with the hypothesis that you put out. So MBO has been doing an annual surveying of the independent industry for the past nine years. We're just starting our 10th year anniversary. It's called the State of Independence. And last year, there's some really key statistics that came out that I think get right after the point that you're bringing up, right? So 76% of the full-time independents said they were very satisfied with their choices. That's up from 72% in 2018 and only 63% in 2015. So in four years, it went from two thirds of the people to 76% of the people are very satisfied with their choice. And the thing that's important to keep in mind here is that in the United States, unemployment is obviously at a, at a record low mm-hmm. and we still have more people choosing to be independents. They're not choosing to be independents because they can't get a job. They're choosing to be independents because they, have a better, they want a better way of life. And so when you look at some other results from the State of Independence survey is 82% of the full-time independents say they're happier working on their own. Well, 69% said it's better for their health. Think about that. That's amazing. Better for their health and they're happier. What, do every, what does every company want? Healthy, happy workers. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's just the, the, the statistics are so compelling. And the other thing is, is 75% of these independents also said that they wanted to be their own boss compared with only 44% of traditional job holders want to be their own boss. This is really telling. You want a diverse workforce? You want people that take ownership. You want people that are innovators, et cetera. And people that choose to be independent and go on their own, they're wired a little bit differently than people that want to be an employee their entire life. And so that diversity of, I'm not saying one's good or bad. I'm just saying that as a company, you really want to have both mindsets engaged in your business.
1: No, I mean, I, I can see that 75%, the 75% number, I mean, seven. excuse me, 76% and growing. I mean, I can see exactly how that's unfolding. So, you know, to jump around, jump and change the subject a little bit, you know, you yourself are, have just taken over the role at MBO just relatively recently. You know, you had built this program, you kind of kind of hinted at, uh, you know, what you wanted, that you, what you did on PwC, that you wanted to bring it to a larger scale, help out even more people. I love everything about it. Talk talk to me about this transition. So you've been at PwC for 22 years. I mean, was it a scary jump? Is it a simple jump or talk to me about like leaving what you knew for so long to go after uh, and take on a new role like this.
0: Yeah, so I would describe it like this. Um I'm a very principles-based person in terms of the way I think about what to do and why to do things. And so I spent 32 years, as I said earlier, with a very prestigious firm. And I got to the point where I said, there's something more I can do. There's a, there's a, there's a better way for me to help people. And so, you know, I, I view, you know, why I was with my firm, I was a builder of many different businesses. And so I said, it's time for me professionally to continue to be, quote, a builder, but I want to be a builder of a future that transcends existing ways of working mm-hmm. to improve the well-being of people and businesses. And so the best way to do that in my mind was to make a move and go help a company like MBO really maximize, you know, just the, the, the future and the well-being of the independents. Because if if you if we make that happen for the independents. The enterprises will be there. Back to your question earlier about the balance on supply and demand. Mm-hmm. The importance here is these, in, these high-impact independents, because we know that there's a volume of work that needs to get done in the world. The question for most companies is, can they really get access to their most important asset? And is that most important asset being optimized? And that's what we do for companies um, while we're helping the, the individuals improve their way of life. It's, it sounds so simple, but it's, it's really, uh, it's really something that I have a passion for, you know, back to help helping these individuals build their businesses and improve the well um, you know, of themselves and their families. So when you got to,
1: you know, you're obviously still new at MBO, what are some of the things that you're looking to push forward on? What are some of the things that you might be looking to, you know? Expand upon, you know. Obviously, when new CEOs take o- or join companies, they usually have there's something usually that will that will change, usually for the better. But curious, like, what are you thinking about how MBO is going to operate in the future?
0: Yeah, well, look. One thing that is back to my point on principles is that what I know is that the rate of change is accelerating. So any company that chooses a strategy to not change is going to be a dead company. Right. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I fully change
0: is going to happen whether you choose it or not. Right. Um, it's not voluntary. <laughs> um, and so when I think about what we're going to do with, with MBO, is it ties to you, you? sit back and you say, "What's the foundation we have?" And, and it has a terrific foundation in making sure compliant workers pay people, um, matching the enterprise with the the talent that they have. And it's been well. We have a network of eighty countries around the world. It's really been a U.S.-dominated business, and so we will expand internationally. You know, again, you have to follow what your clients want to do and are doing, and so we'll we'll certainly be expanding internationally. And we will be relentless on improving the experience for the independent contractor, independent professional, while also helping the experience for, for the enterprise. But everything we do is geared towards, would this be something that an independent professional would be delighted by? And can we give them an experience? And we're going to continue to really drive, focus on how do you activate the marketplace to increase the matches, et cetera. Because um, independent professionals, look, they obviously are interested in where their next economic returns are going to come from i.e. where's the next projects and they they um the job can be lonely being an independent professional by yourself so we're building a sense of community so we're doubling down if you will on the sense of community amongst and between independence Mm. Uh, and so that's an important ingredient to you know our recipe if you will that we're we're putting together on a go-forward basis and then we will be focused on the industries of our choosing more in a more disciplined way, is how I think about it.
1: No, that's awesome. I never really thought about the, building that community. When you say you want to build that community of independence, what do you mean? Like Specifically, uh, is it, are you building some type of platform that allows them to communicate more to each other? How
0: would you go about that, that task? Yeah, so we, ha- we have a platform and people are looking for engagement. And so part of it is through the platform. Yes, this would have been the short answer to your question, <laughs> but, but also geographic and physical connections. So I, I think um, for many that think of platform businesses, they think it's all about the technology, Yeah. right? But yeah. if you step back and look at successful platforms, not only, so not, now we're getting into what I refer to as the modern business model. And the modern business model is is a post-industrial era business model where you have to bring incremental forms of capital to work. And the number one is you have to bring behavioral capital, which is data. Number two is you have to bring cognitive capital to work, which is the thinking and the application on that data. And then you have to have a network. And that's where most people stop. They say, okay, I have a network. But the fourth piece is you have to have human capital. And when you match humans with those other three forms of capital is where the magic begins in terms of a platform business. And so we will do local events. We'll do industry type events. About 25 years ago, one of the smartest men around human capital and psychology of humans, a man named Don Clifton, he was chairman of the Gallup organization, said something to me that has stayed with me forever, which is, People think that their employees leave because of pay, et cetera, but they're asking the wrong question. They should ask why people stay. And the reason people stay at companies or stay in the environment they're in is because they don't want to let their family and friends down. So people have friends wherever they go, Mm i.e., in their community, they will not leave the community. We want people in the MBO community to have friends, we want them to feel like it's a place where they're welcomed. Not just that they're trying to find a transaction.
1: Now this is extremely fascinating to me. I mean, I I agree totally because I've been I've been there personally. I'll just speak for myself where uh, you know, there's like a dire situation. I'll go back to the recession in two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine when the housing bubble burst. Companies were laying people off left and right. Some you had the choice to leave. You could take a severance and get paid a lot less, or you could try to stick it out, right? And when given the opportunity, I remember like I felt I, like a, a an emotional attachment. Like these were my friends. Like we had worked together. Like we're all in a terrible place. Like did I think the world outside was going to be a little bit better? Uh, eh, maybe not. You know. And so I said, all right, let's try to figure this one out. And I remember our CEO telling us that he was going to shut down the shop because we were a services company. We didn't really have overhead outside of payroll. He could have easily just turned off payroll, collected the cash, and called it a day. And he kind of said he was he alluded to it. He's like, this is what I'm planning to do. And we were like, okay, uh, <laughs> he's like, so you guys figure out a way in this dire, dire time where that's what will happen. And it was just a matter of fact, it wasn't
0: like, you know, but it was, yeah. it was, it, but you felt like, yeah, what's it, what's the saying? It's just business. Yeah. 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 See, see, don't see We don't, we don't view the world <laughs> that way. You know, when I, when I say. You know, that um, it's about our, you know, our purpose, which is to give people the control to do the work they love the way they want. Yeah. We're serious about that. We're very committed to it. And so, you know, we have that purpose. Then the question is, what are all the routines and the behaviors that we execute every day to make progress towards that purpose? And that's what, that's, I'm still answering your question about what are we focused on? We're focused on the maniacal routines that have to take place. Right. And so it's the routines that get a different result and the improvement. The outcomes or the goals are just a way of measuring your progress is how we think about it. So um, I'm seeing if I can, I'll give you a a, uh, pragmatic example. Yeah. Extremely pragmatic. If you want healthy teeth, one of the things you should do is brush your teeth every day and you should go for a biannual twice a year checkup your dentist. But each time you brush your teeth twice, when you brush your teeth twice a day, each time you do it, you don't see an immediate improvement in the health of your teeth. It's the routine. If you waited until to see if you had healthy teeth after 10 years, it would be too late. (laughs) Yeah, to say the least. Same thing about people that want to go lose 20 pounds. So they start going to the gym each day that they go to the gym, they come home and they look at themselves in the mirror, they don't see any demonstrable difference. But if you do that for six months, pretty soon you'll see a difference. You'll wake up someday and things will be different. And so in keeping a platform engaged, it's all about the talent and the enterprises, it's all about those daily routines. And that's one of the things that we are maniacally focused on is what are the routines we need to keep and what are the routines we need to change some people call them behaviors. I think it's a little more than behaviors pragmatically, but that's that's what we're doing with MBO right now. So with that said, there must be a lot of uh, experiments going
1: on, let's say, because we'll, we'll use like the social platforms, right? The social platforms constantly have to figure out ways to keep people in, in those platforms, right? They're always introducing features, deprecating features. So are you guys acting the same way in this engagement cycle where you're constantly saying like, you know, do people like this experience? Do people don't like it? Let's take this away. Let's add something different. Is that like the kind
0: of the MO that you're going about to to develop this community? That's right. You have to constantly evaluate it. And you know, another belief that I have is if you manage your business to averages, you will end up with a, a low average performance. Now, why is that? Because averages, the mean will drive you down to the lowest common denominator. Whereas when you need to look at the averages, but you need to understand what are the outliers in your business, and I could get into more technical terms about you know mathematically what those outliers mean. However, it's as simple as: is it okay to have five percent of your experiences as outliers? In our world, the answer is no. Two percent? What's the right percentage, right? And too many companies, CEOs, etc., manage to the averages, and averages mask the outlier experiences. We don't want that. We don't want outlier experiences. We want them all to be wow experiences. Hmm. It's a really important leadership concept. I like it. So do you have any
1: examples of where this practice has helped immensely uncover something that otherwise maybe you wouldn't have noticed had you just focused on the averages?
0: Yeah. So what's the average amount of time it takes for us to pay an independent professional? I, I don't know. So you say eight days. Okay what about that one person that it took 25 days, which should never take 25 days it's a, from after it's been approved, right? So it's like, that, that's what I mean by a practical experience. And, and the, so you have to manage to those outliers. And I would argue that the best companies and best leaders are doing that today.
1: Got it. So you say like, hey, eight days isn't good enough because why is it not good enough? Well, because it's masking. Some people are getting paid at 25 days. And if I were working for you and said, wow, well, it's just 2% of the people, you'd be like, it's not good enough.
0: Right exactly right. There you go. So, so by the way, just if you want to take another pragmatic example in a follow-up, I can get you the exact stats. People say, oh, well, I should be invested in the S&P 500 because the S&P 500 is up 25 points. There's like 10 companies that drive that. <laughs> okay, so, so, that's an average is what I'm saying. The average right. growth in the S&P 500 is X percent. But you can look at it and say, yeah, but like 450 of the companies were flat. You see, this is why it's so important, you know, averages versus outliers.
1: I love it. As a casual investor, I need to start paying more attention to who is driving the growth. (laughs) No question. That's awesome. So, Miles, you're talking a little bit about, you know, your predictions for the workforce in the next uh, five years. Tell me, what are three or four factors you see that are going to impact the future of work today? What are these things that are going to actually do be the
0: influencing of the outcomes that you're talking about? Yeah. So- I want, to li- I want to lift it up one level first. Okay. Because I believe there's, there's four forces that are changing the world today that are demonstrable on society and it ties to why the workforce is changing. So the first is that the rate of change is accelerating. Now, I'm not the first one to say this. Lots of people have said that, but the significance of the rate of change accelerating is that the most demonstrable effects to society occur when multiple innovations converge. So, AI was invented in 1959. It's just now starting to have demonstrable change on society. It didn't have the same effect when we didn't have the technology and the networks in order to move data, capture data as fast, because you need data in order to make AI work. So, that's one simple example. And then the second piece that anything that has a demonstrable positive effect on society is deflationary. So I always say progress is deflationary. And people kind of look at me and say, well, we have inflationary periods. But the reality is, so let's just take one example. The decoding of the genome in 2000 cost $100 million. Today, you can get it done for about $1,000. In 20 years, 100 million, 1,000. And if you don't like that as an example, you can look at the cost of a supercomputer In 1970, and the cost of a smartphone in your pocket today. Okay, so progress is deflationary. And then the third is in the industrial era, everything was about knowledge stocks. I had proprietary information, I put a fence around it, I tried to keep it as quiet as possible, and I would get a team together, we'd figure it out. In today's world, knowledge flows is what matters. Simple example is the greatest breakthroughs and innovations today are coming from open source technologies. That's knowledge flows, not knowledge stocks. And then the fourth thing driving the world is the fractionalization of everything. This has been around for centuries. So fractionalization of things like we can invest in stock markets. There was a day when stock markets didn't exist. And I couldn't add, I couldn't own a fractional share of a company. Today, I can. Think of home ownership. In the United States, only 20% of Americans will ever actually hold the title or deed to their home. So they'll never actually own the home that they think they own. The bank owns it until you have the deed. However, if you're invested in a balance fund, you are invested in a mortgage-backed security most likely. So you have ownership, partial ownership, fractionalized ownership of somebody else's home. So you don't own your home, but you own part of somebody else's home. (laughs) Okay, and then you can go down the list of, we fractionalized our homes, we fractionalized our cars, we fraction like you keep fractionalizing. Well, the thing that is now being fractionalized and what MBO is about is we're fractionalizing the human career and the human workday, i.e. the most valuable asset of any company is now being fractionalized. So put
1: it together, what, how, does, how do those four things, you know, and what is that leading to? You mentioned deflationary, you mentioned you know, knowledge breakthroughs. What, how does it all
0: come together? Well, how it all comes together for the workforce is people are looking for more knowledge flows. They're looking for on-demand people when they need them on demand, just like the tech stack has been fractionalized. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to progress is deflationary is modern business models will thrive. So business models that choose to not modernize their workforce, i.e. have only full-time employees that are captive knowledge stock mentality are not going to win, right? So Because they will get disrupted i.e. others will come in at a lower price to solve the problems with a modern business model. And all of that is tied to the rate of change is accelerating, not slowing. Anybody that thinks that they can hold on forever with the historical business model and not modernize themselves, they will get disrupted. They will become the Kodak of their industry.
1: No, I love it. And this isn't like, uh, in my opinion, not to scare or put a pain and bleak future, but more as in my opinion, it's more like opportunity centric, right? Like this is happening and the opportunity, because like you mentioned, the fractionalization of workforce or time where you need labor and skills creates opportunity for people to, like you said, insert and fill those those gaps.
0: Absolutely. Th- these are forces that are at work that are bigger than any one company. Yeah, And so as a company or as a person, you can decide to ignore them, but to your own peril. There
1: you go. Wise words. Now, one of the things we always want to do for our audience is we want to let them get to know our guests a little bit more on a personal level. So for yourself, what do you do? What do you do for fun when you're not working
0: on MBO? Well, so I, um, my wife and I live in Austin, Texas. And so we love Austin for starters. And we spend a lot of time on the lake on Lake Travis boating and, and doing things like that. And then we travel extensively I've been a pretty global citizen for the last two decades, but now I get to travel for pleasure <laughs> instead of for work, at least internationally. Uh, and so, you know, we we do that. Um, so I, I like doing that. And then I, um, I stay pretty focused on just personal development and devouring information, not just obviously for work, but for my own health and well-being. Awesome.
1: I'm going to ask for two recommendations from you. What is a city or place that you've been that you highly, highly that you most recommend someone that wants to see something unique?
0: Something unique. Well, yeah. I, I love um, Singapore personally, um, just as a city to visit for a few days. I wouldn't be there for an extended period of time, but I think it's a very, um, I like, I like uh, Singapore and and I'm kind of thinking of outside the U.S. because. Yeah. And then I, um, I like uh, Salzburg and the Eagle's Nest uh, as a piece of history to, to, uh, to visit. It's fascinating history there. Uh, tell a little bit more for the people that don't know, including me. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> the, the Eagle's Nest is where um, Hitler had his um, kind of getaway. He didn't spend a lot of time there, but he spent enough time there. And there's a lot of history. But what he did, what happened at the time in Salzburg is just is a place that's close enough where you can stay and have a a great hotel and get a little um, feeling for the local history. Gotcha.
1: And then for for Singapore, what's unique about Singapore that that you just love?
0: So what what I've what fascinates me about Singapore is the governmental structure, which is effectively a dictatorship, but they do a vote regularly on what the people think. So they're not really voting for the political leadership, but it's on what they like. And it's got, it's got such a mix of expats that have repatriated or that have, um, patriated to Singapore to work. Um, you know, people are nice. There's plenty of things to, to see. It's, for me, it's like a four day trip, not a two week trip. <laughs> yeah. So, and I don't, I don't really like uh, you know, beach holidays to go spend my time on the beach the whole time, but I gotcha. think Singapore is definitely, it gives you a good eye into Southeast Asia.
1: Awesome. And then for, you know, you also mentioned that you do a lot of personal development. Are there any books or anything like that that you highly recommend?
0: Yeah. Um, I could recommend a number of them, but I'll give you a couple that I'm I'm reading right now that I think are pretty good books. One is, um, the Atomic Habits by James Clear. The other, uh, the other book that I'm reading right now that I find quite fascinating is um, Eat to Beat Disease. Eat to Beat Disease. Yeah. That seems self-explanatory.
1: Is that just a way to live longer?
0: It's to live longer that- and not just live longer, but how you use food as medicine instead of prescriptions as medicine.
1: I like that concept. And then what's Atomic Habits about?
0: Atomic Habits is, it ties very closely to what I was talking about, where you have purpose, you have routines, and then you have results. There's been a lot written on this over the years. You know, another one that um, I'd read some time ago, probably a decade now, is called The Power of Habit. So I'm into the what really helps drive change. And so all these books that talk about how you deal successfully with change and how you drive it and capitalize on it are of high interest to me you know, to my point earlier change is inevitable you can't stop it so you should be equipped to deal with it in a productive way love it miles did you have fun on the show today yeah it's fantastic i appreciated the discussion i uh, am happy that we had a chance to get on the phone and talk awesome thanks everybody